Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. How should we repair the health care system? Learn what raised the eyebrows of some city councillors. New rules are coming to Pearson Airport. We speak with Oscar-winning Canadian director Domi Shi. What are the latest remote work trends? And the Blue Jays are getting ready down south. The GMH podcast begins now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. As you know, health care is a hot topic, number one topic. In fact, uh, across the country and certainly here in Hamilton and in Ontario, and for good reason, there are many hands in the pot, many people saying, hey, we should do this, that, the other thing. And at the end of the day, we know that we need a better system or a better functioning system. And the premier very recently said things have to change. We're going to come up with new creative ways of delivering health care. We can't continue pouring tens of billions of dollars as we have with partnership of the federal government and continuing to do the same thing and expect a different result. That doesn't cut it. Yeah, it's really the definition of insanity, doing the, the same thing over and over again and expecting something different. So something has to change. To that end, the president of the Ontario Medical Association is visiting Hamilton today to meet with um, local leaders from the political sphere, physician leaders, to talk about how we can fix all the cracks in our much maligned healthcare system. Dr. Rose Zacharias is the president of the Ontario Medical Association and joins us here on Good Morning Hamilton. Dr. Zacharias, welcome back to the show. How are you? Thank you so much. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. What message are you bringing to Hamilton today? Well, we know our healthcare system has been strained in unprecedented ways coming through three years of a global pandemic. We have had cracks in the healthcare system just exposed by that strain, long wait times, lack of access to primary care, our, our hospitals really at overcapacity, emergency departments closing. I've been an emergency department physician for 20 years. I never thought we'd see the day that it would get to this point. Our patients are, are getting sicker and are waiting too long for care. And so we are uh, calling on the government, uh, committed to working with the government to uh, implement our solution outlined in our prescription for Ontario. But uh, our, our patients deserve better, and, and that's what we want to see. We know that healthcare dollars funnel from the federal government to provincial governments. We have these new uh, healthcare deals that are being consummated. How much input does or do municipalities have on the healthcare front? You know, all levels of government do need to work together. I do know that in, in Hamilton alone, we need uh, about 50 more uh, physicians, uh, according to Health Force Ontario. And I, I know that there's uh, entire communities and recruitment efforts to address this shortage, but it really falls on, on government inside of our publicly funded healthcare system, uh, all levels of government, municipal, provincial, and federal. We've been recently calling on that increase in the Canada health transfer so that provinces would have more money to spend. Um, but where we want to see and feel the impact is locally inside of our communities that the people who've been waiting for that appointment for a hip replacement surgery or a knee replacement surgery, that they would actually get an operating room date and uh, and have their, their quality of life back. And so uh, we make very specific recommendations 
uh, in our prescription. I'm here to speak about it in Hamilton, really back to my alma mater. I'm a graduate of McMaster Medical School, uh, so it's good to be here, but very committed to the urgency of speaking about our solutions. Can we attract more and new physicians to the province? I mean, that, that's got to be one of the goals. So, first of all, we have some internationally trained physicians here in Ontario who need to be licensed. And there's been just traditionally some barriers, just uh, some paperwork, some uh, regulation barriers. We've been working with our regulator, the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario, as well as government to decrease those barriers. Of course, uh, all doctors need to be skilled and credentialed and, you know, up to par. But if it's just, um, you know, documentation and, uh, and bureaucratic barriers to get these physicians into practice, we need to address that. Also, long-term, we need more medical student spots, more uh, residency training programs uh, to really have a long-term stable uh, strategy for uh, equipping our healthcare system better. We are dealing with a doctor shortage. All frontline healthcare workers are in uh, extreme uh, shortage. And, uh, and this is some of the things that we need to be talking about and, and, uh, and solving. Well, there's obviously a lot of heavy lifting still to be had. Uh, good luck with your meetings today. And uh, hopefully in the not too distant future, we have a much better healthcare system in place. I know it's not going to be done overnight, but things like this, your interaction with local leaders uh, here, there, and everywhere is going to go a long way to, to solving this crisis. Dr. Zacharias, thanks for the time today. Well, thank you so much for the warm welcome, and I do look forward to the day. Thank you. That's Dr. Rose Zacharias, the president of the Ontario Medical Association, again in Hamilton today, meeting with local political and physician leaders to talk about ways to fix our health care system, our much beleaguered health care system. And again, no easy answers, a lot of, and, and I think a lot of great ideas. Now it, it's going to take some some hard work and some money, a lot of it, to make this system a much more functioning system to help more people to reduce those wait times, to get better health outcomes for people who need emergency services, palliative care. The list goes on and on. There's a lot of things to do. So um, troubling times, but exciting times as well as we're on to maybe some bigger and better things. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Very interesting developments at Hamilton City Hall earlier this week. That's because a delegation from Environment Hamilton uh, came out to City Hall and said, uh, hey, you know what? You should be looking at the current pipeline tax. And so city councilors looked around and said, what's that? We can We can raise this thing? We can maybe... Um, bring in some additional revenues? Well, here to discuss it are two representatives from Environment Hamilton, Adiola Egbeyemi and Adan Amir, who join us on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning. How are you guys? Good morning. Well, Thanks for joining us. So, uh, Adiola, we'll start with you. It, it sounds like you raised some eyebrows at City Hall in regards to the city's pipeline tax. What happened? Yeah, sure. And so the delegation overall was presenting six ongoing climate-related research initiatives, um, and they're all geared towards reducing local fossil fuel dependence. And they perked up when they heard number five, which was the city's pipeline rate. And I think why it perked up was that because there was no provincial threshold. So unlike the other classes, they have limits on what the province says, and the city has to sort of adhere um, but during our research, we found that there was no limit to this one. And so it was something that we thought we could push for. Adan, how does this tax work? Is the city basically taxing the owner of the pipeline? Uh, yeah, it's basically 
the operations for the uh, pipeline, the, the taxation would apply. Uh, uh, would incur on the developers of that pipeline specifically. Okay. So, Adiola, when it comes to this threshold, how high can we go? What are, what are other cities doing? What I, I, what I think is really important in this conversation um, is sort of how there was all six. And while I'm, I'm super glad that the two got a lot of attention, not only the pipeline ones, but as well um, looking at abandoned oil and gas wells, I wish the other four would have got attention, even though I know they're stickier with city council, especially there's two that I, I think as we're going forward, we'll have to pay a lot of attention to. So I just want to draw attention to prioritizing geothermal energy as well as sustainable pool rental building cooling. I think those two will be pushing for a lot more as well. Yeah, absolutely. And Adon, with this with this pipeline tax, if it does go up, does that added revenue go into uh, improving some of the other environmental issues that we have? Um, it absolutely could. I know that during uh, this in-council chambers, there were talks about using the increase in revenue from the pipeline taxes to redistribute other property classes. Um, so that might just mean that we don't have a, a net increase in revenue, but more so relieving the burden on Hamiltonians for, again, their, their property uh, taxes and other residential classes. Which is not a bad thing, because as you both know, you know, the cost of living has gone up, property taxes going up. So any sort of relief, I think, will be well received by the taxpayers in this community. Adiola, do you have any idea when a decision on this pipeline tax component will be made? I'm not quite sure, but I, I'm glad you mentioned that because it's it's cool to see that um, yeah, some things that we do for the environment can be beneficial for all of us. You know, we're coming here um, in terms of the climate crisis. And with that urgency, I hope it gets uh, done as soon as possible, just because we know that the city is going to be at the forefront of creating a climate resilient world. So I'm really glad that this happened so quickly, you know, a half hour after my delegation. And I hope we continue to see actions towards fossil fuel non-proliferation be taken with such vigor because it's it's got so much energy across the city, just being us being here, too. Our guests on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Adiola Agbayemi and Adan Amir from Environment Hamilton. They went to a city council earlier this week and really opened some eyes with their community fossil-free plan, at least, well, as you mentioned, two of the six uh, you know steps in that plan. When it comes to moving the ball forward from the environmental aspect, Adan, how do you think the city is doing in that regard? Obviously, there's room for improvement, but are we ahead of other communities? I would say so. I mean, again, I have only been involved with the environmental uh, activism in, ha- in Hamilton specifically, but whenever we go to rallies in Toronto or other cities, I see the most amount of Hamiltonians out of everyone. So we do have a very dedicated group of uh, folks from all different backgrounds and age groups, which is really beautiful to see. And I'm also really grateful that our city council was very receptive to it. And I think with how city council is now, um, I do see a lot of opportunity for our city to move forward and be at the forefront of, again, having climate resilient cities. We only got one more minute, Adiola. I, I get the impression that you must be thinking, boy, if we didn't go, go to city hall, they would have never have known about this. That's a fantastic question because it gives them the opportunity to bring in the youth part about this. And so Adan and I both have been, you know, championing for this. I know something that happens a lot at city halls, you know, climate rallies, Fridays for Future, 
they'll, you know, on Fridays, they'll go to City Hall and, and ask for all these changes. And that's a big youth thing. So you'll see even high schoolers there. And we've been both a part of it since we were like 19, 20. And, and keeping working on this and finally being able to get into council chambers, um, you know, again, as youth, researching as youth and bringing this forward and speaking on the radio as, you know, 23, 23 <laughs> year olds on tax policy of all things. Um, it really does. For me, it, it emphasized the importance of, of a youth voice in the climate crisis. It's awesome. And it's a perfect example of community activism making our city a better place. And ultimately, that's what you're trying to do. We'll have to leave it there. Adiola and Adon, thanks for joining us and good luck going forward. Thank you. That's Adiola Agbayemi and Adan Amir from Environment Hamilton, really opening some eyes and some ears, apparently, at Hamilton City Hall. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. If you are Pearson International Airport, yes, it is very late to say sorry. That should have come months ago, if not weeks ago. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Thanks for waking up with us today and each and every day here on 900 CHML. Greatly appreciate it. Did you hear the news about Pearson? Well, as you know, it's been weeks, months of ongoing travel delays at Canada's busiest airports. And now they have a, they have a new idea. We're going to limit the number of flights during peak times. So the, most, the, the busiest times at the airport, we're going to have fewer flights at that time. I, I'm not sure if this makes sense. Barry Choi, well, he's the travel expert and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Barry, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Always good. It, should we be viewing this as a positive? <laughs> you know, I like the fact that on the intro you said they should have been apologizing in advance. I don't know if this feels like a positive. You know, when I read the headline first, I was like, oh, this sounds good. But then when you actually think about it, this sounds like a PR move more than anything else, doesn't it? Like, like it's it's kind of like, I'm sorry, but it doesn't actually help us in the long run. Yeah. So how do you see this working? I don't. Like, I don't see it working <laughs> Oh no. At all, you know? <laughs> it's like, oh, we're going to, like, limit the number of uh, passengers and flights. You know, that sounds great in theory. It's like, oh, yeah, I would love to get through customs quicker. I would love to get my planes to, like, take off on time until you're on one of those planes that gets canceled for whatever reason. And, and the funny thing is, it's not like Air Canada or the other airlines decide, I'm just going to like start flying 50 million planes out of Pearson whenever I feel like it. Right? It's, it's the airport authority and Pearson actually has control over that. So like they've agreed to let these airlines fly up. So if they're going to go back and all of a sudden times like, oh, you know what? We're going to limit it. Uh, that's going to have a huge impact on business not just Pearson's, but all the airlines. So there's going to be quite a bit of pushback. Yeah, and the one thing I thought of, too, is what if you already have a flight booked? Like, March break is not that far away. You've already booked a flight, and now you're getting to the airport, and you're being, you're probably going to be told, well, we're not offering that flight at that time because, well, we're, we're implementing this system. I'm, I'm predicting more chaos. <laughs> That's exactly it. The timing of this announcement is like, I feel like it's going to backfire. They're probably like, oh, you know, what? it's going to make your March break better. You're going to limit times. And like I said, people are going to be like, wait a minute. What if I'm the one on that plane that's going to get delayed? They're like, they're probably freaking out, looking for new things. It's, it's such an odd thing to implement uh, in this release. They're saying, like, yeah, we're going to limit the times. But like, like when is that realistic? You, you know, what they really should be doing is hiring more staff or, or whatever. Um, I don't know how much of an impact that can actually do. Uh, but I'll tell you this much. You know, last month, I flew through uh, LaGuardia. Mind you, it's a brand new airport. The security checkpoints were nothing. They just had so much staff and so many people. 
It doesn't matter which line you're in, you'll get through within 10 minutes. But anyone who's traveled in the morning through Pearson, especially through the US, it could be like a two hour wait. So, so that's a big problem. There's huge bottlenecks at Pearson. And that's the obvious problem more than anything else. With March break approaching, is this the worst time to try this? I would say so. Like I, I, I'm going to believe that they're not actually going to stick to this. Uh, it'll be really funny, like if uh, not funny from my perspective at least, and maybe yours because maybe we're, we're both not traveling. Uh, but if if they do this and it fails miserably, uh, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, you you know, they're ranked the worst airport again, which is really sad when you think about it. So what should Pearson be doing? Just hiring more baggage handlers? Like what what is the answer? You know, I think baggage handler is one thing, but you, you know, t- to be truthful, Pearson's done a really good job in the sense that they've they've improved airport. But over the years, I, I think uh, you know they're kind of seeing what needs to be improved. They just take a really long time to do it. So when the new terminal one was built, there was no restaurants. Now, when you go to Pearson, there's restaurants everywhere. But like I mentioned, the security checkpoints is a big issue, and that may not necessarily just be on Pearson. You know, sometimes if there's not enough U.S. border. Uh, customs agents, then you can't push through as many people as you want, even if you're clearing them through the security checkpoints first. That said, I do think there needs to be more security officers trained and, and uh, just to get passengers through, uh, you know, the screening process more than anything else. Uh, so, so it is a tricky situation. Um, but at the same time, you know, I do want to point out that Canada and Pearson, we have some of the highest airport taxes in the world. So it's like, where is that money going? Like, you know, it's interesting to hear that they've hired an outside firm to audit them. But but what are the actual real changes that are actually going to happen to help passengers? Well, interesting times ahead. We'll see how it all works out, especially during the busy uh, March break travel period. Barry, always appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me anytime. You can find out more about Barry Choi, travel and personal finance experts online at moneywehave.com. A statement from the Greater Toronto Airports Authority saying, as opposed to limiting the total number of flights that Toronto Pearson can accommodate over a given period, this work has been predominantly focused on limiting flight activity during certain peak hours, thereby spreading demand out over the course of each day. I don't have much hope that this is going to work, to be honest. If you are traveling in the next week or so, I don't be on your toes. Be on your toes. That's my suggestion to you. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Are you a werewolf? No. What? He's a red panda. Sick. You're so fluffy. You're so fluffy. I've always wanted a tail. Priya, Abby, quit it. May, what the heck happened? It's just some, you know, inconvenient uh, genetic thingy I got from my mom. I mean, it'll go away. Eventually. Maybe. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Well, she has already won one Academy Award, and later on this month, this fantastic Canadian director, writer, and animator could very well add another Oscar to her growing trophy case. Domi She is this Oscar-winning director, writer, and animator, and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Domi, good morning. How are you? Good. How are you guys? Good. You won, uh, as we all know, an Oscar in 2019 for Best Animated Short Film for Bow. You're up for another Academy Award uh, coming up on March the 12th in the Best Animated Feature category for Turning Red. How have you handled the success that you've enjoyed so far? Oh, man. Just uh, just one day at a time. Um, yeah, I don't really think about 
uh, I mean, I'm so grateful and honored to have, you know, been nominated again and uh, to have received the, the Academy Award uh, the first time for Bao. But it's not really what I think about when I'm making the movies, to be honest. Like, I just want to make stories that make me laugh and, and think uh, and and feel. And uh, it's kind of what I was trying to do this time with with Turning Red. But yeah, it's a uh, it's it's great. <laughs> Turning Red certainly gave us all the feels, so many emotions with that movie. What motivated you to tell that story? Yeah, man, I really wanted to make a movie for my 13-year-old self, you know, who was going through a lot of the same things that May Lee in the movie went through. Like, I was struggling with being my mom's perfect daughter and also this raging hormonal beast that was emerging inside <laughs> of me and trying to figure out who to honor, like my family or this new me. And um, and I feel like I haven't seen a lot of movies uh, kind of made like that for kind of girls and kids kind of in the same predicament that, that I was in, that May was in. And this was just um, an amazing opportunity to do that. Um, and I'll, yeah, and 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 the way I pitched it too, like I, you know, it was a, it was about, you know, I pitched it as a story about this Chinese Canadian girl who undergoes magical puberty, <laughs> and, uh, and I've never heard that term before, and I really like thought it'd be really funny to explore this phenomenon that we've all kind of been through in like a very unique and funny and weird way, like this girl turning into a giant red panda anytime she got emotional. Knowing that you've been nominated for a film that, you know, you put your heart and soul into, what's it like getting ready for the Oscars, the, the ceremony, getting dressed up, the anticipation of going to the Dolby Theater, sitting with other Hollywood icons? What, what does that feel like? It's exciting. It's nerve wracking. It's kind of like, um, kind of like buying a house. Like, it's like at this, it's like you're, it's like you're, you're, you're shopping for a house. It's like, like you're uh you have to want it but you also have to be totally fine walking away and not and like <laughs> with nothing at the same time um you're kind of living in a little bit of a an an exciting thrilling limbo where you can't get too it's like you can't get your hopes up too high but at the same time you're you just can't help but get excited and, and get and like feed off of the energy and the excitement from everybody else i'm just excited just to go there and to celebrate films and to celebrate um you know our film to celebrate the all the other nominees i feel like it's a big year for asian representations i'm going to totally be cheering on you know michelle yo and key um and stephanie and uh and and of course our movie as well so yeah <laughs> we got about a minute with uh domi she the world is waiting to see what's next for you what can we expect um well i'm back in development at pixar on a new feature film idea uh but it's still really really early on um and i can't say that much about it except it'll be very me <laughs> and uh is is do you have a timeline of when it could hit theaters no there's no timeline at all i think i'm going to take my time a bit with this one <laughs> well you certainly deserve it best of luck on march the 12th i'm sure it's going to be an exciting night uh, win lose or draw uh, turning red was such an amazing film and i think impacted and motivated and inspired so many people to be brave and, and go for that brass ring congratulations on it and best of luck with the next project thank you so much
That is Domi Shi, Academy Award-winning director, writer, animator with Pixar Animation Studios, and up for another Academy Award on March the 12th for her coming-of-age story, Turning Red, which, if you haven't seen it, is a really... It's a great movie. Number one, just to see all the Canadiana in the movie, and there's a ton of it. Uh, it's a it's a great story, too. But uh, she is up against, well, some some really... Uh, hard-hitting company when it comes to Best Animated Feature, including Guillermo del Toro, who's nominated for Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Uh, The other nominees in this category, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, and The Sea Beast. And uh, interesting enough, Domi Shi and the director-writer of The Sea Beast, Chris Williams, went to the same college, Sheridan College. Like, what are the odds of that? The two Canadians... Uh, who attended the same college for um, art animation are up for Best Animated Feature Film at the 95th Academy Awards. That is pretty doggone cool. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Whether you are getting ready to work from home or heading to the office at some point today, not only are we going to keep you Entertained and informed on the biggest stories of the day, the ever-changing weather forecasts, and everything in between, there is new research that you should know about that has revealed some, well, remote work trends for 2023. And here to share some insight into it is Michael French, the National Director at Robert Half, and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Michael, good morning. How are you? Hi, Rick. Thanks for having me on. Uh, Thanks for coming on. You have uh, a handful of remote work trends that are... taking shape here in uh, 2023. Let's go through the five that uh, are being identified as uh, some of these key trends, including, and I think most people are thinking about this, that remote work is never going to go away. It's never going to be what it was before the pandemic. What have you found in that regard? Well, work really has changed. So we found that work, remote work is here to stay. Professionals looking for a change 85% of them are looking for minimum hybrid. That's some days at home, some days in the office. When it comes to companies, a full 25% are posting roles as being fully remote. So that would be fully at home. So we've seen a massive shift in the where you work, from home, from the office, and somewhere in the middle, everyone lands. So remote work is here to stay. It's been accepted. And that's a big shift from three or four years ago. Yeah, absolutely. Do you get the sense that fully, more and more fully remote positions are going to be offered to people? Well, when a company goes fully remote, they have the ability to look at the entire market, open up to a skill set that maybe doesn't live in their area. And it's very, very appealing for a company to go, I want the very best people. I'm willing to be flexible to attract the very best. You can give them a, a leg up in the competition. Work flexibility is obviously a huge issue as well, because whether you're at the office or working remotely, maybe you have a hybrid role and you can be flexible with your hours or which days you work. How does that play in terms of the trends that are going forward this year and and for the next few years? Well, this was really interesting. You know what? We all want flexibility. It used to be, okay, you're in the office nine to five and you leave at five and you rush home to traffic. But now flexibility Come to single, you know, work when you need, work when you can, put the hours in. So we're finding people are working more hours, but they're also seeing higher job satisfaction. They're much happier. So we don't mind working a few extra hours for that flexibility, and we're enjoying it. 
Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Michael French, National Director Robert Half, we're talking about some uh, new research revealing a handful of remote work trends for 2023. And if you're listening right now thinking, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm I'm agreeing with that. You'll probably agree with this one too. And that is uh, regarding salary and whether you're at work or fully or a hybrid remote worker, how is the salary discussion taking place? Well, this is interesting. You know, everything costs more now. You know, you ought to get fuel or food. Prices are going up everywhere. But we found that uh, people are saying, you know what, I can take a little bit less money if I get some flexibility remote. And this is coming from some different cohorts. We're finding some young people saying, you know, I can take 16% less if, uh, if you can offer me uh, some hybrid remote, but also working parents. Imagine being a parent now. One parent can have kids in the morning. One parent has kids in the afternoon or after school. And that comes with a little bit of savings for a company if you can offer flexibility. Very, very appealing. And are you finding that the reverse is also true? Those workers who have been forced to work remotely because companies are saying, hey, we have too many people in the office. We have to physically distance. You're now fully remote. But, uh, you know, by this date, you're coming back and we're going to pay you the same. Will that worker say, well, wait a minute, I've been at home doing my job to the best of my ability, fulfilling all the roles. Now you're asking me to, let's just say, commute a couple of hours each day. Uh, you have to pay me more. Those discussions being had. Well, that's a really interesting topic. You know, I think we're hearing a lot of um, news from south of the border, but the companies saying, well, you're back in the office, you're mandatory, we hear from some pretty big companies, some pretty famous ones. I think there's going to be some real challenges that they encounter um, as people say, you know what, I'll come back for now, but I'm going to be looking for a new job. This just doesn't work for me. So I think there's a bit of a push and pull going on. I think this is going to be a very big topic for the rest of the year and next year. There's going to be a real shift. If you're approaching this, uh, this idea with a very rigid, no, you're here and you have to be here, there could be a change because we know companies are very, very flexible and they're looking for the very best people. And that could provide you a great chance to make a, make a big life career change. Yeah, that really goes back to the the earlier point of work flexibility can lead to that higher happiness, which is what we're seeing in in many workplaces. We're going through some new research from Robert Half that shows some uh, interesting work trends for 2023 when it comes to remote work. Speaking of being in the office, there are some benefits to being in the physical workspace. What did you find there? Well, this is really interesting. You know, maybe it's not that interesting because we, we, we all knew this. There are some real benefits to being in the office. We know when we ask professionals, just under three quarters said there's a real effective relationship building that happens in your office, meet face-to-face, think of all the water cooler conversations we used to have and chatting in the kitchen or the hallway. So there's some real benefits to being in person, actual person versus virtual. So you have to really think about, as a company, we have a culture and a collaboration. How are we going to do that if we're not going to be in person all the time? Maybe it's the occasional. Maybe it's every second week we're in person for a day or for meetings or for events. But being in person still has a lot of really, really strong benefits. As a leader, you have to think, how am I going to recreate that? Or how am I going to create an environment where people want to come together if it's optional? Yeah, and you make a great point because I think people are zoomed out. They're 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 tired of these online or virtual meetings. Getting together, reading body language is so much more, it's just more effective. For sure. You know, I, I love it when I ha- can have a day without a Zoom call or a Teams call. It, uh, it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm over the, the virtual calls, but it's so nice to see people. I think back before COVID, 
think my boss were at the water cooler saying, hey, guys, back to work and no more chit-chat. Yeah. Now they're craving these people who have some chit-chat and, and see each other. So there's a real personal connection that uh, everyone feels is missing when they are remote. People get a lot done, but they aren't building deep relationships. Yeah, that's true. Last one for you. We only got about a minute. This is about career opportunities and how those who are working in the physical workspace and those who are remote should have the same opportunities for promotions or special projects. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, this surprised me. This is very high on managers' uh, awareness. So nearly 90% said that they make sure that their remote people and their in-person workers have the same opportunity for career growth. That comes down to having really good career conversations, have them often, talk about what you're looking for, what you're trying to achieve. And some of the interests would be in sort of special projects or teams that you can join for an assignment. So it's good to know that managers are saying, you know what, we know our work pe- our people working from home might need some special uh, attention when it comes to what's next to their career. That was very good to know. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Michael, appreciate the, uh, the insight into these work trends. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Michael French is the National Director of Robert Half. You can get more details on this and much more work-related trends at uh, roberthalf.ca. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Hits that breaking ball. A missile to left, and you can forget it. Dan Wagner, the call on Sportsnet. Vladdy Guerrero going deep as spring training is underway. The boys of summer are playing, well literally in the wintertime, although it's down in Florida and the Cactus League in Arizona. But for the Blue Jays' standpoint, they're getting ready for what we all hope is another exciting season of entertaining baseball. And here to break it all down on how this team may or may not do is Mike Wilner, baseball columnist and podcaster with the Toronto Star, host of the Deep LF Podcast, and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Mike, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm I'm good. It's another gorgeous Sunny morning here in the Gulf Coast of Florida. What could be bad? You just can't help but rub it in. <laughs> hey, listen. I'll be home soon enough, so i got to enjoy it while that's, I can. That's true. March is here, which means we are a step closer to opening day. What is your extremely early impression of this year's team? I mean, it's, it's going to be a very, very good team. I don't really take much from spring training because... Uh, the the samples are so small and the vibes are always good and you know the stories are always everybody's in the best shape of their lives and they're going to have their their best season and you know life doesn't work that way but you look at the track records of the people that they have on this team and this is going to be a very 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 good baseball team they have made a few new additions, uh, most notably outfielders uh, Dalton Varsho, Kevin Kiermeyer, uh, D.H. Brandon Belt coming over from the Giants. Chris Bassett is now a Blue Jays. Uh, of those four guys, who do you think is going to have the biggest impact on this 2023 ball club? That's a really good question. Um, and and then, look, they're all. I think they're all going to have a really big impact. Varsho and Kiermeyer's impact, if Kiermeyer can stay healthy. And again, he appears to be just fine, which is great, but he he doesn't exactly have a track record of being able to stay on the field. Um, But if Varsho and Kiermaier are healthy, then they'll make a massive impact in ways that most people probably won't notice because they're just such tremendous defensive outfielders. And the Blue Jays outfield uh, in the past few years has been, you know, kind of leaky in the corners. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and 
Teoscar Hernandez were both below average defenders. Uh, this year, there are going to be a lot of balls in the outfield that get caught that just look like, okay, that's a fly ball should have been caught. Uh, but last year, they were singles and doubles. And, you know, we're not going to notice that, but there are going to be so many more. Like at the end of the year, I think we're going to be saying, man, was uh, did, did Kevin Gosman have a great year? And Jose Barrios really bounced back. And Chris Bassett was terrific. And a lot of that's going to be the fact that so many balls in the outfield got caught that didn't get caught last year. That's a great point. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Mike Wilner, baseball columnist and podcaster with the Toronto Star, host of the Deep LF podcast, Deep Left Field podcast, which is a great listen, by the way. Um, The Blue Jays' regular season, Mike, begins March 30th in St. Louis, which is kind of odd. Yeah. Yeah, it's the first time the Jays have ever opened up in a National League city, but that's life in the big leagues right now. I mean, this, they've changed the schedule. Every team faces every team every year. So there are an extra, I don't know, um, extra five five or six trips to National League cities. Um, so we're going to have to get used to this. It is, it, I, I love it. But that's that's the way the the, the game's going to work from now on. We're getting used to a couple of other things. Number one, uh, the makeover that's happening at Rogers Center, which really hasn't been unveiled yet, and it's going to be exciting to see. But the other one is the the pitch clock or the pitch timer. And right now, for those who are not aware, pitchers have 15 seconds to deliver their pitch after they receive the ball, 20 seconds when there's runners on base. From what you've seen of it so far in spring training, what's your initial impression? I love it. I love it. Um, I, I got. I went down to Buffalo to see a game last year to to watch it in action, um, and uh, it's it's fantastic. It reduces the amount of dead time so much in a game. So much time where you know people have complained to me, "Oh, this isn't the game. It's uh, baseball's not supposed to have a clock, and it's supposed to be called a pastime, and we're not going to have enough time to." talk about the game and hang out while we're <laughs> watching um no you're, you're just not going to watch hitters adjust the velcro in their batting gloves and and pitchers walk around the mound while they think and and hitters call time out four times in a bat it's it, it's wonderful but what i've really noticed is that it's going to be far more of a problem for hitters than it is for pitchers it's because of the fact that you know, we most people, and I've done it too, talk about the pitch clock the way you did. Pitchers have 15 seconds with nobody on, 20 seconds with runners on base. But the, the thing about it too is that the batter has to be in the box ready and alert to the pitcher, as they say, with eight seconds left on the clock. So what I've noticed through the first four games of spring training is that Eight seconds is a long time. Look, you you work in radio. I worked in radio forever. We know how long eight seconds can be, how long 30 seconds can be. Uh, it can take nothing or it can take forever. When a pitcher is standing with the baseball and a hitter is looking at him, eight seconds is forever. So the pitchers who learn to use those eight seconds are going to get a real advantage. 
It's going to be fascinating to watch as the regular season begins later on this month. And of course, that'll be amplified during playoff time with every pitch that is magnified and uh, scrutinized and analyzed. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Mike, appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the rest of the uh, phenomenal weather down in Dunedin. I will try to bring back as much sun as possible. Thanks for having me. We appreciate it. Mike Wilner, baseball columnist and podcaster with the Toronto Star, host of the Deep LF podcast. You can get it in your favorite podcast. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.